Please take a seat, make yourself comfortable, and if you want to, you can open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. If you have a Bible app on your phone, feel free to open that. Also, uh, you might want to reach inside your program and uh, grab the sermon outline for this morning. That'll help you follow along well. I don't know how many of you uh, caught on to the drama that happened this past week, starting on Monday. Uh, in the governor's mansion in Arkansas. Did anybody catch wind of that? So um, maybe you're familiar with the governor of Arkansas, although certainly a couple states away from Illinois, so maybe not, but her name is Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And uh, actually, I think her father was governor before her of Arkansas in the past. And uh, this week, she posted a photo and a a post to social media, and it instigated a little firestorm. And so um, I'm going to show you the picture that she posted. That is it right there. Now, why would a picture, a stained glass picture of a cross, instigate such controversy? Well, you probably know that she is the governor, so this driveway is the governor's mansion. And I'm not sure even what you as a Christian might think about this, but she immediately got hassled by a group called Americans United by not, for not keeping church and state separated because her children drew a chalk drawing on the driveway of the governor's mansion. And she did respond. I'll share the response with you in a little bit. Whether you think this was right or wrong of her to allow on the driveway of the governor's mansion, the reason I brought it up here is because I think we all as Christians need to understand something very important as we jump into the book of Acts. We're going to go through the book of Acts And Jesus is going to tell us that he has a purpose for us, each and every one of us, that when we wake up every morning, we have a capital P purpose to pursue, and that is to glorify God. And that our whole life is really about bringing God the glory. Some of you might be familiar with a Bible passage that says whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Go all the way back into Psalm. Psalm 34.3 says, let us exalt his name, God's name, together. So this is a theme throughout the whole Bible. None of us as Christians has any need to be confused about life's purpose and what we're here for because it's so clear in the Bible that our central purpose in life is to glorify God for all that He's done for us, to offer Him thanks and praise, and to share His name and His acts of salvation with the world around us. That's, according to the Bible, the very reason why you're still here because otherwise... Think about it for a moment. Strategically, wouldn't it be kind of smart for God to kind of, if you're a fisherman, right, 
to pull on that line and catch you up and get you to heaven as soon as you came to faith in Jesus? Wouldn't that lead you to be more certainly in heaven for eternity? If Jesus just kind of lurked and waited for each of us to believe and then said, boom, you believe, you die, and you're alive again in heaven. That would make a ton of sense, except for Jesus has left us here to spread the influence, to spread the word, to tell others what God has done for us. If any of you have come to communion here, you've heard me say it many, many times. Now go tell others what Jesus has done for you. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today and in general in the book of Acts is that God has empowered us. And there's a lot of talk in our world today about empowerment. And I'm actually going to show you today the source of why there's so much talk about empowerment. In case you're curious, why does our culture keep mentioning empowerment in all these different forms uh, that we talk about it today? And there's a good reason for that. But the type of empowerment we're going to be talking about is God empowering us through his Holy Spirit. And then we're going to ask ourselves this morning, what is he empowering us for? Empowering us to do what? To change what? And then when? So grab your program because I want to ask a very important question that I think is vital for all of us to ask. And as you see that picture, one of the reasons I put it up is, <clears throat> did you know what this group, Americans United, wanted, want to do? It's obvious, isn't it? They wanted to neutralize the governor from putting out any messages about Jesus Christ. Now, you may think that's right if you believe strongly in separation of church and state, and okay. But my argument would be, this is not just something happening at the governor's mansion in Arkansas. This is happening throughout our culture and society. How many of you, if I asked you to raise your hand, I won't, would say, I've heard messages from my superiors at work that I'm not supposed to bring up my Christian faith here at my place of work. I've, in fact, heard messages that I know to be deeply anti-the Bible, anti-Christian, being promoted in my place of work. And I've actually been recommended that I do need to say those things and act on those things. Even though deep down, they violate my beliefs and what the Bible teaches and what Jesus teaches. So we're, we're in this world where there are many, many people in our culture and society that want us to be disempowered that want us as Christians to be silenced. And a lot of this wraps around this idea that I think even many Christians believe, but I'm going to challenge it today. I believe there's a lot of Christians that, because of our culture, have been taught, you know your Christian faith? That's personal. That's private. Believe what you want, but please don't announce it to the world. And I'm going to tell you that I think Jesus teaches us that, yes, our faith is deeply personal and it is also deeply public. 
in that God has given us the purpose in life of publicly proclaiming his name to the people of all nations. That's the Great Commission. And therefore, we have to know that while, yes, our faith is personal and private to us at the same time, with, and there's no contradiction here, it's very public and meant to be proclaimed. That's what mission work is. And in fact, the very vision and mission of this church is to share with people who don't know Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus Christ and his acts of salvation. So here's my question. You can write this down. Have Christians in today's world been neutralized? And I, I would tell you that I think there is danger of that. However, I see signs of hope. I see signs of Christians finally realizing what the culture is trying to do to silence and neutralize us who are now more boldly stepping up and saying, I'm not going to be neutralized. I'm not going to be silenced. And I will point you to this week what Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders responded when this group, Americans United, attacked her for her children's chalk drawing. Dear at Americans United, I have received your letter and my answer is no. I will not erase the beautiful cross my kids drew in chalk on the driveway of the governor's mansion or remove my post on social media and I will not now or ever hide that I am a Christian. That's pretty powerful. And, and I actually have to look within myself and think to myself, now I'm a pastor, I have it kind of easy in that I'm teaching a bunch of mostly Christians, although we have guests at times. But I also want you to think about this in sympathy for pastors like Dustin and me, that it's our responsibility also to proclaim clearly what the Bible teaches, even on touchy issues. And we try to do that. We're meant to teach on abortion, for example, that that is a sin, that you are taking a person's life when you abort a child. Now, there's mercy for it, there's grace for it, there's forgiveness for it, and if anyone in this room has done that, I would want you to hear loud and clear, you are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. But I can't get up here and say, don't worry about it. Abortion is not a sin or a violation of God's law. It's not murder, which it is, because that's a person. I can't get up here, for example, and, and say homosexuality is not a sin. And many, even Christians, will teach homosexuality is not a sin. But the Bible is very clear that it is a sin. And that it is not God's plan for our sexuality. Now, even some of you may have trouble with me saying that. And I, I understand because our culture is so strong on this point. But I'm going to tell you, obviously, we're going to and we're committed to proclaim even the difficult, unpopular truths of the Bible. And we have to. It's our responsibility. And we are also willing always to sit down and have a conversation around that and around the Bible. And we want to understand that there, 
is grace and forgiveness for every sin. There are no unforgivable sins in the Bible. Some people will cite unbelief as an unforgivable sin, and I would say to them, even unbelief can be forgiven if you believe. So understand there's forgiveness for all, but there's also truth that must be proclaimed. And that's also every Christian's responsibility, which can lead all of us to some very heart-wrenching and difficult conversations, sometimes with people that we deeply love. Now, I'm not advocating that you go down and, and get out there and burn your families down or your places of work down. I'm advocating that you be, if anything, an example of grace and forgiveness and God's love, but don't shy away from the truth of God's Word. I will not now or ever hide that I am a Christian, and I will not hide all that entails. And why can we do this with some confidence? I, I, I want you to think about this. Let's, let's look at Acts chapter 1, because guess who else has, has been under an attempt to neutralize him? Guess who else there was an attempt to silence him, right? To the point of crucifying him in the hopes that that would finally silence him, right? But in Acts chapter 1, which I just read to you, I'm going to read verse Three again to you. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was not dead, but alive. And, and you can see it there. There's some context there for you, so you can reread it all. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. In fact, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it tells us that over that period of 40 days, Jesus showed up and was witnessed by 500 people to be alive. Now, I don't know about you, but if you were ever on trial, if I was ever on trial, and I could pull a string of 500 witnesses to testify to the fact that I had not committed a crime, I'd feel pretty solid about my case. And that all of this didn't just happen all of a sudden, but this was 500 witnesses that saw what I had done over and over and over again for 40 days. And this is one of the most convincing proofs to me that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. Why did, why did Jesus spend so much time and effort trying to be seen by so many people, trying to show that he was alive after his death? Well, it's simple. The resurrection is the most important and powerful thing that's ever happened on planet Earth. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then what are we doing here? If you don't think Jesus is alive today, then he's just another human being who said and did some kind of nice things and then passed away and he's gone. But if he's the son of God, as he claims to be, if he's your savior, as he promises you he is, and if he's most importantly 
alive after he died, then we can put confidence in everything the Bible teaches us about him. You heard the name Timothy Keller? Timothy Keller recently passed away. He was a pastor. He was in his 70s. He pastored a church in New York City. It was a pastor. Uh, man, if you've never listened to a Timothy Keller sermon, I, I would encourage you to find him on YouTube. He's just an excellent teacher. He recently passed away, and um, a, a lot of Christianity, myself included, felt that he was a, a, a big influence on their Christian walk and their Christian faith. And I want you to see what he says about the importance of the resurrection. And I love that he died believing this, because it means he's in heaven now. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Are there things that you read in the Bible that you're like, you want to question those? I'll tell you there are things in the Bible that aren't popular with my sinful nature that I would like to question. It's not about that, though. It's not whether I like what God says or don't like. I had a great mom. She laid it on the line to support us as kids, as a single mom. Did I like everything she had to tell me? Sadly, no. Some of you have moms that you don't like everything she tells you. But if you know that she has the authority to tell you that as your mom and that she loves you, well, that makes all the difference in the world. Likewise with Jesus, if he really rose from the dead, whether I like what he teaches or not, it has to be the truth. That's the most compelling thing, the resurrection. And that's why in Acts chapter 1, we hear it repeated. Because it shows us one important thing. He appeared for a little bit to have been neutralized and silenced, but he is not. And in fact, he says, if you allow yourself to be neutralized in silence, he has the power and the authority to tell the rocks to glorify God and to preach the gospel. And he doesn't say that, by the way, as a compliment or a relief. It's kind of a way of saying, listen, guys, I'm serious about this mission. Please don't make me have to create mouths on rocks so that the gospel can get out there. That's your purpose in life. All right? So, number one, Jesus appeared to have been neutralized, but he is not. So that leads to the next question addressed in Acts chapter 1, which is, if we are to be empowered, what does that mean, empowered? And how do we become empowered? How does Jesus empower me? And I, I want to talk about this because I think it's an important, I, I mentioned this earlier in the message, it's an important theme in our culture today. Have you noticed that? You know, there's all kinds of empowerment messages out there. I won't go into the specifics. You can think about the ones that you've heard. That it's important for us as individuals to feel like we have some power and that we're not disempowered and that we can stand up for ourselves and say the things that we want to say and not let anyone stomp or step on us and neutralize or silence us. 
because we feel empowered. You, all you have to do is look at the internet and you will see marches and demonstrations and all kinds of things that are really about empowering this or that group. Where did that come from? Now, maybe if you went to college or even in high school, if you took uh, an elementary psychology class, you've heard some of the famous psychologists of the 1900s. Sigmund Freud, you probably heard that name, right? And there's another one, however, that has probably had more influence on American culture than Sigmund Freud, and that is Carl Jung, who was a young protege of Sigmund Freud, but departed from him, but not really, even though he had grown up in a Christian way, he didn't depart in a way that led psychoanalysis and psychotherapy back really to God. He went into what we would call humanism. And he said, Carl Jung said, look, the, the most important thing in life is for a person to discover who they are and become more of who they are. Now, I want you to think that. Think about that. Can you think of things in our culture today that have embraced that? Make your life's purpose, not glorify God, not share the gospel. Make your life's purpose, the reason you wake up every morning is to find out who you are and then become more of that. Man, <laughs> that is all over our culture, my brothers and sisters. Listen to what Carl Jung said. I'm not what happened to me. Now, I, I like that part of it, right? Even Christ tells us we're not what has happened to us because his blood is shed for us. He starts out really strong. But then he says, I am what I choose to become. And even there you could say, well, maybe I could get that. However, I want you to think about in our culture, that has led to you can become whatever you want to be and choose to be. Is that really right? Now, let me tell you, when I was 16, I dreamed of being the starting point guard for the Phoenix Suns. Problem was, as hard as I worked to play high school basketball, and I did make the team and everything, but I was never going to be Steve Nash. I'm sorry. First, he's taller than me. And secondly of all, the guy's a freak of nature. I'm going to talk about the UFC in a moment. And, and there's a UFC uh, fighter that has been looked at by doctors. Doctors who say, I've never seen another human being who looks like this fighter. Even in little things in terms of like the musculature around his eye sockets so that he can take a punch. Am I ever going to be that just because I choose to be? The answer is no, it's a lie. Now, I get that with God helping us, even the Bible says our possibilities are pretty big, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a pretty awesome promise. 
right? A couple weeks ago, we talked about prayer and how God wants to give us more than all we can think or imagine. Those are great. But that's with God's help. It's not whatever I choose to become. And, and this, Carl Jung's philosophy has worked its way through our society to the point that we've come to believe that we don't need God anymore because we're all we need. We, with our choices, can become whatever we want to become. And boy, talk about self-actualization. It's printed all over what we're hearing in our culture today. And the problem with that is the word self. Because it makes me the center of the universe, not God. It makes me and my life's purpose all about finding myself and then becoming more of myself, whatever that means. Literally today, whatever that means, no matter what the science or the biology teaches us. Now, I, as Christians, we want to be compassionate and understanding. But there is always an and in the middle, as I've taught you guys many times. The compassion and the understanding is no good without some truths that are inalterable and unchanging. And it is living life with the balance and the and in the middle of being willing to love and be compassionate and forgiving and persuasive and kind, all those things. And at the same time, am I really being kind if I let someone go down a path that is only going to destroy them? Because I'm afraid to tell the truth? So this is the message that we're proclaiming. And if we think we have it tough today, it's nothing compared to what Jesus is going to put the early disciples and apostles to task for. The things that he's going to ask them to do, do you know that every one of the apostles, barring one, eventually lost their life because they were murdered for their message? Think about that. Murdered for your message. And usually after a whole lot of persecution before mercifully you were allowed to die. This is what it meant to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. On one occasion, the Bible says, verses 4 and 5, while he was eating with them, there's evidence that he was physically alive because he was eating food. He gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. So this is Jesus Mel Gibson moment. Remember the movie where he's a Scottish king, right? And then all his troops are out there in front and he's riding his horse back in front. And do you remember what he says? Hold! Don't run out and attack them yet. Hold. Stay there. We're going to fight, but hold. That's what Jesus is saying here. Hold until you get the gift that I'm going to give you because you need that power. If you're going to be empowered, you need the Holy Spirit. So stay there in Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, what's the gift? 
you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that is still how Jesus empowers us to be his messengers today, to be his witnesses today. Because trust me, it's never easy to be a witness. Do you know why? Have you ever thought deeply about this word witness? To be a witness means you have to raise your hand publicly. You, you cannot just like write some anonymous note to someone and not sign it if you're going to be a real witness. And guess what? That testimony in a court of law, you know what it's going to be if you just write the little rumor letter you're going to write? It's going to be called inadmissible. To be a witness means to put yourself at risk. And the apostles all did that to the point of giving up their lives. And now Jesus is saying to us, you're going to need power. Because guess what? I'm calling you to the purpose in your everyday life to be my witnesses too. And you're going to need help. You can't do it on your own. So hold until through the word, through the sacraments, Jesus links it to baptism. The Holy Spirit comes in you and you are empowered to tell others what Jesus has done for you. You've heard me say it at communion. If you come to communion, you hear me say at the end of every communion, go and tell. So, Jesus empowers people by sending us his Holy Spirit. Not by the decisions or choices we make, but by sending us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And finally... For what and for when are we empowered? Well, Jesus tells the early apostles this, and then they get a message from some angels. And, he, and Jesus says first, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. See, there's that power of the Holy Spirit that we all need. They needed it, we need it today. You, and when that happens, you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, right here, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then the next part of it says he's caught up into the sky, he ascends into heaven, and they're all kind of thunderstruck by this and standing around not sure of what to do, and then some angels appear to them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven and will come back in the same way, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. What's the message here? Be solidly certain about why you wake up every morning. That's the first message. Why are you still here? to be sent on a mission, to be missionaries and witnesses, to be ambassadors for Christ. That's your whole purpose in life and mine too, to bring glory to God in everything we do. And when do we start this? Now Jesus has dropped his arms and he's no longer saying hold. He sent some angels and he says, empowered by the Holy Spirit, go urgently now. And I, I want to tell you what that looks like, because I think a lot of people get nervous about this. Like, how, how am I going to overcome my fears and my nervousness about being a witness to Jesus in a world that feels so opposed to him and his message? 
I think a lot of people think I got to look for people. And I'm going to tell you, yeah, you, you are going to want to find people. But I'm going to tell you, don't look so hard for people. Instead, focus on looking for circumstances. What do I mean by that? I, I'm, I'm going to give you three T's. And I've taught them from the stage before, but I'm going to remind those of you who've heard me, if you haven't heard me teach these, here's the circumstances in order to be witnesses I want you to look for. I want you to look for tension in a friend's life, a, a neighbor's life, uh, a relative's life. That's the first T. Because often God allows tension, which is from the inside, boiling up inside our hearts and minds, to come into our lives so that there's an opportunity to reconnect to God. Because if you're anything like me when you feel tense, you're like, do I have any help? <laughs> I'm feeling tense. So tension. The next is transition, a change. My daughter and her husband and our two grandsons are moving from Phoenix to Wisconsin this summer. In fact, they're in the truck right now doing it. And I can't count, even with my own daughter, how many opportunities I've had the chance to say, God's got you. I know moving is hard. I know change is hard. You're moving from a big city to a small town. You're moving from Arizona. I don't know why you're doing that. To the Midwest. You remember it's cold here from college, right? But God's got you. Tension, transition, and the last one is not the, the stuff that comes from the inside up into our heart, but it's those things that come from the outside and attack us. Trouble. What troubles has God allowed in a friend's life, in a neighbor's life, in a relative's life that you could say, hey, you want to go for a cup of coffee? Can I pray for you? Can I tell you what I do when I have a lot of trouble or transition or tension going on? I want to share with you some things that have really helped me. And that's why I say, instead of looking for people to share the gospel with, look for circumstances in which you can more easily find an open door in people's hearts for the gospel. And here's why that's so important. I'm going to go full circle as I close. I'm going to put a picture. Some of the men I think are going to be, anybody know who this is out there? You can shout out the name if you know. This guy's name is Dana White. You can see the letters in the background. He's the president, CEO of UFC, Ultimate Fighting. And um, a few years back, and, and I'm doing this in conclusion to show you, it's not going to get easier, folks. This is why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a few years back. At the end of their fights in, the ultimate, in ultimate Fighting in the UFC, several boxers got up in a row, several fighters got up in a row after they won and started giving credit to Jesus Christ, thanking God for their victory, ultimately crediting God for everything that they had in their mind received. Even though I'm sure they trained very hard, it was still for them a gift from God. Dana White responded and said this, you just won the biggest fight of your career. America doesn't want to hear your thoughts on Jesus. Keep that stuff at home. 
religion, politics, all that stuff. When you're out there fighting and you're being interviewed, they want to hear about the fight. It's awesome you love Jesus. Love Jesus all you want. You just don't have to do it publicly. And you know what? Because of our culture and because of messaging like that in our culture, I think there's a lot of Christians who have now started to believe that's also what God wants of us, to keep our faith to ourselves, to keep it private and personal. And I hope today has challenged that if you're one of those who have been led to believe, I just need to keep my faith to myself. And that you've heard loud and clear Jesus say to the early apostles and now to us who are sent out today, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, even a place like Illinois. Especially a place like Illinois. And anywhere else the Lord leads you. And my prayer for you is you will say, I will not be neutralized, not in the Holy Spirit's power. I will not be silenced like Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I will give glory to God privately and publicly. And let's start right now by together saying the Apostles' Creed. My contention is if you know this, you know how to be a witness to Jesus. So join with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.